Hi, this is Kevin Smith, Silent Bob from all those terrible Jane Silent Bob type pictures from back in the day. And you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder, man. Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape recorder. Coming up, comedian Mike Stanley on growing up with some pretty cool parents. My parents were always really good about not censoring things. Like, just letting, if I was into something or if I wanted to see something, they just let me see it. I don't ever remember them telling me I couldn't watch something other than Porky's. I think I wasn't allowed to see Porky's. <laughs> that was the only thing. We'll hear more from Mike in just a bit. We discussed the, the comedy scene, his hometown of Detroit, uh, things in Los Angeles, and uh, it was really a great chat. I think you'll really enjoy it. And speaking of the comedy scenes, I was in the Funniest Person in Cincinnati contest, and I did about like usual. Uh, we'll discuss that in just a few moments as well. But first, as always, fake news. And now, fake news with me. Russian President Vladimir Putin gave a blistering response to former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton's comparison of his actions in Ukraine to those of Adolf Hitler leading up to World War II in a television interview that aired Wednesday. Putin accused Clinton of not being the most elegant speaker and made remarks implying women in general are not well-suited to politics. Karl Rove sent him some flowers. The fear over the swap of American POW Bo Bergdahl for five top Taliban commanders has angered key members of Congress, including some top Democrats. It has fueled a debate about the wisdom of President Obama's decision-making on national security, and it was revived questions about whether a top official dispatched to make the administration's case on Sunday morning talk shows was straight with the American public. Of course, before all this, people were saying this. So if there was some, the possibility of some sort of exchange, um, that's something you would support? I would support... Obviously, I'd have to know the details, but I would support ways of bringing him home. And if exchange was one of them, I think that would be something I think we should seriously consider. Senator John McCain on Anderson Cooper. And remember, it's only flip-flopping if Democrats do it. It's no secret that NASA's long-term goal is to get people to Mars, but how realistic is that objective? Unfortunately, the prospects aren't looking good right now. The National Research Council has conducted a review of NASA's space program that suggests its budget isn't practical for anything more than trips to lunar space and might not even stretch that far. So long as the administration's finances are keeping up with inflation, any attempt to push past low Earth orbit would invite failure and disillusionment, the council says. Unless we find oil there. In addition to speaking on the 70th anniversary of D-Day, President Obama will sit for a network television interview during his trip to Normandy, France. NBC News anchor Brian Williams will speak with Obama about D-Day, as well as other pressing news of the day. Now, uh, I'm going to predict this now. Newsbusters will go insane and say, why didn't Brian Williams ask him this? So, just just note that. Anyway, um, the network announced Thursday. Now, Fox News will have a panel discussing why France sucks. New York Times columnist Maureen Dowd recently starred in her very own version of Reefer Madness. To get a feel for Colorado's legal pot scene, Dowd traveled to Denver as part of her research, and the Pulitzer Prize winner decided to sample some edible marijuana for herself. She shared her experiences in a column that was published this past Tuesday. I felt a scary shudder go through my body and brain, she wrote. I barely made it from the desk to the bed where I lay curled up in a hallucinatory state for eight hours. The columnist was teased mercilessly on social media, and it could have been a lot worse if more people would have gotten off their couch. 
The recording sounds like something from the Jim Crow days, a white supervisor threatening to hang an African-American employee for drinking from a water fountain that's for white people only. But it's from 2014 and in Memphis, Tennessee. Antonio Harris, who worked at the Atkinson Cotton Warehouse, said he used his phone to record his supervisor after feeling discriminated against for months. In the audio, Harris asked if he could use a microwave. Hell no, a man, he describes as the new supervisor responds. And when he asked why the purported voice from the supervisor says, it's because Harris is not white. But Bill Cosby and Oprah Winfrey are extremely wealthy, so there really is no racism. And that's been Fake News with me. I was in the Funniest Person in Cincinnati contest uh, again this year. And uh, let me, I guess we'll take a few minutes here and just discuss this. I think people are kind of curious about the open mics and about the comedy contest and so forth. Now, I uh, sent out a, a Facebook invite to everybody. Nobody responded. Uh, a lot of people have come out before to support me, so I, I'm mad at anybody. I'm surprised people drive it because that's not really a very convenient uh, drive for most of the people that I know to go up to the, to the comedy club. So when they do show up, I do appreciate it. Uh, but no one had replied, and I sent out a, an email at work and just told people, hey, if you're looking for something to do, you know, I'll be doing uh, comedy. Well, it turns out um, that uh, a lot of people said, well, we, we're probably going to go. And I thought, well, you know, that's that's if you do great, if not, uh, don't. So I'm picking out my jokes and I decided that uh, I was kind of laboring over the list. I thought, you know what, I'm just going to because I never advance and it's you've got to bring a ton of people and the judges kind of have their favorites, I think. And uh, I don't know how to crack this nut. So I'm just going to do the jokes I think are funny. There's a, a Beauty and the Beast bit that I do that I think is very funny. It's funny to me. Probably not funny to you. You'll find out in a few minutes. But I think I'm, I'll do do that. And I'll do, just do some other jokes I like. This, this new one that I took from Fake News a couple weeks ago about global warming. I'm just going to do those jokes. Well, it turns out my friends from work did show up. So I had like six or seven people there, which was nice. And uh, I still didn't advance. But um, as usual for the third year in a row... Um, of course, I voted for myself. Uh, there's two rounds, uh, two uh, categories. There's uh, amateurs like me, and then there's the um, the uh, semi-pros. Within there, there's four of them. So there's four semi-pros and like ten amateurs. You pick three amateurs and two uh, semi-pros to move on uh, on your ballot that they give you. So the the two people I voted for besides me moved on, which has happened every year, uh, except for me. And then um, when it came to the semi-pros, I got to mention this. First of all. Uh, I, but when I got to the show, I was talking to John Bunyan, uh, noted local comedian, and uh, we used to write together on the Gary Burbank show, and uh, we're talking, and this guy comes up, and I, I think I recognize him, and John introduces me, and it's a comedian, Kim Sherwood, who immediately says when he hears my name, oh, I- I'm a big fan of the podcast. Huh? Huh? And then later on, uh, Jason Goodall comes over, another uh, local comedian of the amateur ranks, comes over and he's chit-chatting and goes, first, how's the podcast going, PF? So there you go. Friends of the show. Now, Jason was competing the next night, so I didn't, I didn't vote for him. I said, well, I'm definitely voting for Kim <laughs> in the semi-pros because he's a fan of the show. And I felt badly about that later, but it did come down to a tie between him and two other comics I won't name. Uh, and I voted for Kim and one of the other comics, and I wish I could have taken back my vote and voted for another guy because these two people, after the um, uh, semi-pros had finished, uh, they brought up Gabe Kia, the very funny Gabe Kia, who we've had on the program, friend of the show, and he closed the show while they were counting the ballots. He's up there being hilarious, doing some uh, mix of old stuff, mix of new stuff, killing it, of course, and these people won't shut up. 
They just go on and on about their set and how they did. They, we don't care. We want to listen to Gabe. Talk after the show. Go over to McLevy's and talk there. They're, don't interrupt Gabe Kia. So I'm kind of giving them the stink guy, and they're not catching on. And so I'm like, God, I wish I could go back and take my vote back for one of you idiots. So anyway... Um, and the person I did vote for of the people that wouldn't shut up were one of the people that moved on. And unfortunately, uh, Kim did not. But anyway, that's the. It's, this is almost lasting as long as my as my set. So here gonna here's my set from the funniest person in Cincinnati contest. Uh, just see what you think. Mayor and Cosworth and Mrs. Tupac do. He showed up for work, right? 
filing cabinet. Kind of stressful day. Come over here and go through my drawers. My oldest uh, was a story the other day. She said uh, that her friend's parents put the friend uh, out for a random drug test. I guess this is under the guise of going out for dinner or coffee or something, but they took her to one of these labs and had her pee in a cup for a test. And then I told her friend, she goes, my parents would never do anything like that, right? And I said, absolutely not. I go to a sleeve and cut your hair, put it in an envelope and mail it to the lab, much more after your test. Try something with drug test, so it's not fine. Okay, you know, for those rooms, so for me to post on that? Uh, a little response to cheerleading last year for Pee Wee football. Very cute. Uh, we had to go to an organizational meeting. Oh, I got stuck with it, actually. And they told us, you know, what time practice was and when they needed to be at the games and how much water they needed to bring all that other stuff. And then they said, are there any questions about Pee Wee cheerleading? And I said, yes, yes, I have a question about Pee Wee cheerleading. How long before she's stuck up in fishy? <laughs> Mike Stanley is a stand-up comedian from Detroit, Michigan, now living in Los Angeles. He tours the country relentlessly, trying to make a name for himself, and he's probably going to do that very soon because he's hilariously funny. Here's our interview with Mike Stanley. Okay, joining us on PS Tape Recorders, comedian Mike Stanley. Mike, how you doing? Good. How are you? Good, man. So this will be your first time in uh, Cincinnati, eh? It will. Yeah, I've uh, I've been trying to work the club for quite some time, and we were never uh, able to put anything together. And uh, I actually had somewhat of a fallout this past couple weeks with um, with another club. Uh, nothing major, just a, a date didn't line up, so I had the week open, and it just so happened that uh, you know it worked out for Go Bananas too. So I'm excited to be coming through. Cool. So, have you ever been here before? Uh, I think I've traveled through Cincinnati. I, I've, I've probably been there at some point. Uh, I know I've never performed there, though, so this will be a first for me that I've heard nothing but good things about the club. So yes. So, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty exciting. Cool. Hey, you're from just up the road uh, in Detroit. Yeah, yeah. I'm from Detroit originally. Um, I live in Los Angeles now, but... Um, you know, my family's here, and uh, my girlfriend is here in Detroit. And, uh, this is kind of where I station out of when I fly back into the Midwest tour. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing dates until probably September, uh, all through the Midwest. You know, uh, Ohio, Chicago, Wisconsin, North Dakota, South Dakota, Myrtle Beach. Um, you know, but I always fly into Detroit and then just kind of hang out and see family and, and my girlfriend, and then just kind of uh that's my home base and then i just kind of span out from there so so where in detroit are you from originally what part uh i was born in dearborn and then i was okay. raised in redford and then uh when i was 19 i moved to actual downtown detroit and i lived down there for a number of years oh wow i moved to chicago so hmm. yeah a lot of people are surprised uh from southeastern michigan to say that uh my friends and i always enjoyed visiting detroit but meaning metro detroit not not necessarily downtown although um I did go to a few concerts at St. Andrew's Hall. 
uh, back in the day. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, people like to rag on Detroit. I guess it's easy to rag on it just based on all the stuff you see in the news. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think it's rich in culture, and I think it's kind of a good litmus test for uh, just what's going on with the country right now, just as far as what the government is uh, able and willing to do to uh, <laughs> help uh, help a, a city that, that could be better. So, yeah. you know, they just got, they just, uh, Chase Bank, actually, and J.P. Morgan just lo- uh loans um or invested i should say about uh i think like 130 million dollars into the city so hopefully there'll be some changes and and turn around but until then the jokes keep coming so yeah well and i'm from cleveland so we we get a lot of that too yeah yeah, yeah the whole, the whole... i mean it's a little bit different i don't i you know detroit's just the birth the birthplace of motown and the automobile and and stuff so you yeah. know I mean, yeah, it's and like Metro is great. We used to visit all the time uh, there. We met some girls at, from Cedar Point one time. My buddies and I, so we went up and visited one summer. Had a great time. Yeah, I was just thinking about Cedar Point. I haven't been there in like ten years. I was thinking about trying to shoehorn a trip into that place while I'm here. Oh, you got to do it. I know. I haven't been since I think they built a Raptor or something like that. It's oh been man, quite some time. We haven't been in a while. <laughs> um, we drove up from Cincinnati uh, probably about five, six years ago. Uh, I think my little one was still really little. But uh, and we were thinking of going, uh, we're going out of town this week, we're going actually up into Detroit to go into Canada, to go up to Toronto, and uh, we were yeah. going to try to go to Cedar Point, but now we figure we're, we're just going to go uh, straight up into Canada. Yeah, yeah, that's another place I haven't been in a long time, uh, but yeah, it's weird how, I don't know, you know, Michigan's great because you can kind of pop into all these other places pretty yeah. quick, you know, I, I moved out of it when I was about 24, 25, once I started getting work as a comedian because it was kind of a pain to um, travel the Midwest because of the peninsula, you know what I mean? If I wanted yeah. to go to Wisconsin, I was going to have to drive all the way around. Oh, yeah, so yeah. Chicago just seemed a little bit more centrally located for me, but, you know, it's a cool place, and, and Detroit specifically has a very, uh, you know, specific type of hardworking blue-collar person, I think, that is kind of overlooked, but... Um, yeah, it's cool though. I mean, all these you can you can kind of hop anywhere rather quickly, so it's pretty cool. Totally, and I heard, I saw this thing on uh, NPR a couple of months ago, or heard on NPR that uh, there's this deal where they're letting people buy up the vacant lots uh, next to them, or if there are houses on them, that city will tear them down for them, and letting people buy the lots next to them for like hundred, two hundred bucks, and then people in the city of Detroit can have these huge yards, and they're turning them into like little mini parks and stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of incentives right now uh, just to try to, to eradicate blight in the city, which yeah. I think is great. Because, I mean, there's literally, it's so crazy. Like, you look online and there's, like, these mansions that look like, you know, Wayne Manor, like like Batman lives there. And yeah. It's like, they're, they're going for, like, three grand, and you're like, oh, my God, if I just, like, if I had the money and resources to just kind of, you know, rebuild whatever needs to be done on the inside. Yeah. This house would be worth a million dollars. I mean, it's it's just crazy. And now they're giving all these incentives to people, like you're saying, to just buy up all of this land and just kind of eradicate whatever whatever garbage, you know, burnt down, dilapidated uh, hunk of whatever is on it. And all these people are doing all this urban farming and stuff like yeah, that, which yeah. is really great because it's giving all these locals jobs and they're you know they're they're um, planting vegetables and all this stuff, which also helps keep the cost of food down because it doesn't have to be shipped in from all over the place. So, and it's healthier. I mean, I, I don't know how long it's going to take to rebuild and, and, and basically flip an entire city, but I know that there are good people trying to, uh, you know, 
to do the right thing and, and put put the foot forward in order to um you know just make it a better place but don't get me wrong it's still super dangerous oh I mean, yeah it's yeah. a very dangerous place to live it's lawless oh but. yeah um so growing up were you always interested in comedy or did, were you, did your friends just say you were funny and you should be on a stage somewhere how did all that start well for me it was it was ever since i was a kid i mean i grew up watching red skeleton and and uh you know uh, the carol burnett show and uh carson and you know carlin my mom my parents were always really good about not censoring things like just letting if i was into something or if i wanted to see something they just let me see it i don't ever remember them telling me i couldn't watch something other than porkies i think i wasn't allowed to see porkies <laughs> that was the only thing but uh as far as like uh, stand up when I was allowed to watch and see and just um, you know it, it, and just kind of take in anything that I wanted to. My mom would rent it for me, so I kind of grew up watching a lot of stand up, and I knew that it was something I could do. I always knew that it was something I could do, so I was always writing jokes and always just keeping a notebook and like writing these things down all the time. And and uh, when I was in seventh grade, I did the um, the talent show at school, and I just did a bunch of Stephen Wright jokes, which. And I did them exactly the way that he did them, too. I was, like, 11 years old, which is kind of funny to think about. Just this 11-year-old kid delivering, you know, these these dry kind of cerebral one-liners. <laughs> but um, I, I, I just I loved it. I just thought it was amazing. And, and uh, the older I got, the more I started writing stories and just kind of expanding on that. And then I didn't even know stand-up was something that you could – just do. I thought it, I thought you had to live in New York City or you had to be a movie star in Los Angeles because you know you were seeing all these stand-ups on VH1 and stuff like that but they were the same people you were seeing in movies so you just you didn't really know how it worked. I didn't understand it as growing up and then one time I was at a party and a friend of mine who um who I hadn't seen in a while was like, Oh, I do stand up at the comedy club. And I was just like, what? So you do like, you've never said a single thing that's made me laugh ever. I'm like, I have to go <laughs> see this. So I went up there and it was like open mic night. And, uh, <laughs> and I was just watching everybody and I was like, Oh, like a lot, a lot of these people aren't even writing material. Like they haven't prepared anything. Like they just, they're just kind of going up there and just, just winging it. And I was like, I knew that I, I had an, like some things that I could say that were kind of prepared that were already jokes, and I understood a joke structure. So I um, I went to a few more open mics and I just watched, and then you know eventually you get on stage and you you go up and you're terrible, and you just go up a few more times, and then you know after the fifth or sixth time something starts to kind of click, and then you know and then you just start working on that and then the club offers you more time and then before then I'm closing out the open mic and then I'm getting offered feature work in Canada. Whoa. And then, you know, once I once I started once I started got got the bite and people were kind of taking notice to me a little bit in, in Michigan, I just ran with it. I I just went a hundred percent and I tried to get on stage every single night that I could. And I, I'm I'm still like that. That's still the way that I uh the the level that I operate on. So what you're I'm, I'm in Michigan right now and a lot of the clubs are closed and I'm freaking out because there's nowhere for me to perform uh, right now. So I've been throwing my own open mics <laughs> for the local guys here. That's cool. So what year would that, that have yeah. been that you started what uh roughly? What year? Yeah. Uh 2004 maybe. Okay. 
Okay. And so you, then yeah. you, you started doing feature work. So, and then at what point do you decide that, that, well, you went to Chicago first, you said, right? I did, yeah. Once I started kind of featuring out of Michigan, um, I was dating a girl who got offered a job in Chicago, and I knew that it was a bigger scene, and I knew that there was going to be more stage time there, and um, I just knew that it would be better for me all around to make the jump. So we went out there, and I had a few jobs as a waiter, and I got fired a bunch of times. Huh. And uh, And at that point, I mean, I had been writing so much and just like, just trying to get up so much that I, I knew that I had enough time to headline and I knew that I could headline. So, uh, you know, one of my, one of my bookers that I, that I work with that books me, uh, quite a bit was just like, yeah, we need, we need to headline you at this point. So they started headlining me and, um, you know, I kind of went full time from there and it was scary and it's still, it's still one of those things like I'm very grateful that I get to do it, but it's still a grind because nobody knows who I am. I'm not really putting asses in the seat. So, um, you know, I had mine 40 something weeks a year on the road and I'm consistently traveling and touring, but I'm still not anybody that anybody knows. So it's hard to sell tickets. Yeah, it's tough. But, you know, you got some people who are comedy aficionados that, uh, that might know you in certain markets, but when you come to a new market like Cincinnati for you, um, that's also tough unless you have some kind of TV thing behind you. And, uh, yeah. And I, I guess it, it might be less grindy. Wait, wait excuse me. What's, what's up, fangirl? Well, we're going to make a break for it. All right. My daughters are going to lunch. To, they're taking the car. Oh, okay. I'm a little nervous. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Okay. Text me if you have any problems. Okay. She's got her license like two weeks ago. Oh, that's and terrifying. Her, and her, her 10-year-old sister couldn't be more thrilled. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so anyway, yeah, we've had a bunch of guys from here move up to Chicago, uh, from Cincinnati, uh, that take advantage of that comedy scene. And, uh, but that place has really exploded for comedy. I mean, uh, it's always been known for sketch, but for stand up, it's really become known as a stand up town as well now. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the scene now is really incredible. It's, you know, when I first moved there, um, it was about 10 years ago, there was really not a whole lot. There was Zanies, which, uh, didn't embrace the local scene at all. Um, it really wanted nothing to do with with the locals. It would it would kind of pick a few people here and there and put them up, but for the most part, it kind of turned its back on anyone who was there. So what you ended up having were all of these local guys putting together these uh, these showcases of local talent, which were great. I mean, they they basically built them like comedy clubs in the back of bars and rooms and stuff like that, and they, it was like a comedy club. You know, they charged to get in, the comedians got paid, and just following that model, all of these other showcases popped up. You know, there were two major ones when I first moved there. There was Chicago Underground Comedy, and then there was the Lincoln Lodge. And, uh, you know, Zanies wasn't really paying attention to the local scene. But by the time I left, you could literally do four sets a night. Yes, I've heard. Just from locals putting together all of these amazing show- showcases. And you would get paid for most of them. I mean, not a lot, but you would make, you know, 15, 20 bucks a set jumping around the city you know hanging out with your friends doing multiple sets working stuff out hmm. it really uh it really kind of exploded to the point where you know now there's three clubs there you know people have actually come there the last factory moved there because the city is just thriving with stand-up you know yeah and i'm glad that it's finally getting uh it's due in regard to stand-up because it was so frustrating to live in chicago and then go on the road and people would be like oh yeah, it's a great city, second city, right? Like you do second city or 
And I'm like, no, that's not, that's, or, you know, what a great improv town. It's like, yeah, that's, that's not what I do. Like, it's just like, it's a great stand-up town and no one's recognizing it for the stand-up. But, you know, with the advent of, um, not advent, but, you know, you're seeing all these really uh, amazingly talented people come out of Chicago, you know, Matt Brunger, Kyle Kinane, you know, TJ Miller, just all those guys are, you know, they're all blown up. And and now you have a younger crop of guys that are doing the same thing. And, you know, people who moved to New York and, and they're doing really well. It's like anybody that comes out of Chicago has the chops because they put the work in. And you could also fail there. You could afford to fail. There wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, There's no industry there. So you can take the time to do what you want to do, how you want to do it, and really kind of hone your craft. I mean, not to sound cliche, but if you if you bomb it doesn't matter because there's no one in the in the audience who's looking for talent for a sitcom you know i live in Los oh, Angeles yeah, yeah. now where where 95% of the shows i do are packed with people who are actors who don't even care about stand up and it's evident when they get on stage and yeah. it's like they're just there trying to get their name out or trying to get some sort of exposure so that someone will cast them in some terrible TV show that's <laughs> probably going to get canceled within a year and then i go to the show and all i want to do is get on stage but i have to wait and watch all these other dudes gum up the cogs of comedy, and it's really disheartening. But you know, that's the industry; that's the yep. way it works. Yeah. Another thing that's kind of uh, the the start. You like you said, people doing and like you're doing in Detroit with you know grabbing some of the local guys and doing the open mics. That kind of that's something that always kind of seems to be going on uh, here and there. I know Sam Tripoli did it in Las Vegas, and I was talking to Sean Patton a couple weeks ago, and he, he said when the next comedy crash comes. Uh, it will be good because people will start doing that again. But it kind of seems like people are doing that now. We have a few guys here in town that uh, will put some shows together at bars because we only have the two clubs and their open mics are usually on the same night of the week, which is kind of crazy, but uh, that's the way they run it. And um, yeah, so it's it's good. It's good. very entrepreneurial for uh, for the young comics out there. To, you know, if you if you can't find a room or you're in a town that's not that big, uh, you know, or start just start your own start your own room. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, Stanhope really helps, um, you know, kind of pave the way for that where people realize that you don't have to rely on a comedy club to be a comedian, you know? Yeah. You, can, you can build an audience uh, based on, you know, your own talent and the talent of your friends if you just put the work in. I mean, all, all a comedy club is is a, it's a, it's a building with a stage. That's all that it is, and those exist everywhere. There's right. a million bars with, with back rooms that they use for catering or you know, spaces that they have that they, they, they do music in or whatever. It's like, you can, you can build your own show. You don't need a comedy club. I mean, they're, they're great, you know, in certain regards, but they're also terrible in certain regards. You know, there's a lot of things I love about clubs and a lot of things I don't love about clubs. But, you know, if you have the opportunity to build something from the ground up yourself, the way that you want to build it, then I don't know why you wouldn't do that. Yeah, exactly. So um, you're just you're gonna be touring the Midwest for the rest of the summer, and uh, just uh, trying to see how that goes. Well, I mean, I'm I'm perpetually on tour. I mean, I probably fly back to the Midwest every two months to do okay. two or three weekends in clubs. So um, yeah, it just so happened I was supposed to be back in LA this week, um, but I actually got booked. You know, I got booked for this and. Uh, so I was like, oh, I'm just going to stick around Michigan. I'm not going to fly back to L.A. and then fly back, you know, fly back to L.A. and then fly back right back to Cincinnati when I'm already in Detroit. So I just figured I'd uh, stick it out and maybe do some local spots and maybe throw some open mics. Um, 
so yeah, I, I just decided to to stick around, and I won't be back in LA till September. Oh, oh wow, okay, that's cool. So I'm I'm curious. Do you have like any? You said you you write a lot. Do you ever write write stuff that uh, maybe isn't you know uh, suited to stand up or suited your stand up at least, and you kind of file that away for other projects, or do you find a way to make it work in stand up? Yeah, I write I write down everything. I write down everything that that I think is a good idea for for. Um, I write down any everything that that I think might might work for a movie or a script or just a funny line in a scene of something. I I write down everything because I find that when you have these like, uh, you know, tool sheds of of just materials and lines and and uh, <clears throat> you know just ideas, you'll find a place for those things. You know, and it's fun to go back and look at those things and go, oh, I remember this line. This is a really funny line, and I didn't have a spot for it at the time and it worked perfect with this thing that I'm working on now. So you can kind of, you know, drop it in like a box car and something that you're, that, that you've already kind of built. So, you know, right now I'm, I'm trying to write the thing in LA too is like, you know, I always joke about how stand up means so little to the industry that, uh, you know, people ask if you do anything else on your way up and they recommend it on your way down, you know? Like, yeah. On your way up, they want to know if you're writing scripts or, or um, you know, an actor or anything like that. They want something else that they can make money off of you for. And, you know, once you've made it as a movie star and things aren't going well, they're like, well, maybe you should try stand-up, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because you can probably fill, you know, these comedy clubs because people know your name and they just want to come out and see a celebrity. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, a um, lot of guys do do end up doing that, but, you know, it's... You know, it's it's not something I ever wanted to do, write, write for a TV show or write scripts or anything like that, but now I'm kind of dabbling in the idea that, hey, maybe this is something that I could do and I could enjoy doing, um... I don't think I would do it just out of uh, the fact that I have to. Like, I need to do this in order to survive. Yeah. Um, I'm, already do I'm already doing that with stand-up, so I don't need to take on another, you know, endeavor that's going to stress me out and uh, take up yeah, the ex yeah, exactly. a lot of my yeah. time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, th I think um, I'm not opposed to, to writing stuff. And, and my process is also changing, too. Like, uh, just the way that I write, I, I'm really, I really enjoy writing, so... It's like, why wouldn't I take the chance and maybe, um, you know, try and try and crank something out that I that I believe in that I think is funny that I might be able to sell to somebody that will let me be creative and and expand uh, on my own universe, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, it's uh, always good to, to keep creating because you never you never you never know. Um, well, all right, man. Uh, thanks for taking the time. They really appreciate it. This will be in uh, City Beat um, the uh, next week. Uh, when you were here in town, and um, if you want to get oh, to great. town early, we're doing the funniest person in Cincinnati contest at the club Tuesday and Wednesday. We had, there were so many people in the first round; they had to uh, run it over two nights. And uh, I was the Cincinnati Bengals of the contest again last night, one and done in the first round. But um, there's always next year. That joke <laughs> oh, got happens, a good. Man. That joke I, got a big. That joke I've, got a big I laugh. Even, I, I've lost contests 
that I've won, so yeah. I wouldn't worry well, about it. Well, well, Gabe Key, the guy that's running, was running the show. Him and Spark Tabor running. They were they stressed all of us at the beginning. They said, "Look, it's you know, it's it's not it's yes, it's a contest, but really, what it's more about is showcasing here in case we ever want to use you to MC or and things. You're really auditioning for club management. You're not really worried about winning the contest, you know. Which winning the contest yeah, is great. That, that, that's yeah, the and thing that's with what any of this stuff, you know, yeah. it's like you don't you don't know what's going to happen. It's like just. Somebody might see you and find a, a better fit for you, something along the line. So don't take it to heart. I don't even think about any of that stuff anymore. I just go out and do it, and then I move on with whatever project or yeah, joke yeah, or exactly. thing that I'm writing. I, I You can't concentrate on whether or not someone else thinks you're good enough for something you just right. go do it and then just move on like don't dwell on it yeah well stage time it's a big a big crowd and it's mostly strangers which is good because most of the uh the shows they're, they're bringers you have to bring people but um although uh, oddly a lot of people showed up for my show last night from uh, from my job but but anyway oh, okay. so yeah so if, yeah if you're in uh, if you're in town early enough uh yeah uh yeah, stop by and, and check it out and then um yeah, and then uh good luck to you the rest of the way and continued success we'll uh, we'll get your name out there we'll get more butts in the seats Hey, well, thanks a lot for uh, taking the time to call me and interview me. I All really right, man. appreciate and that. I'll let, I'll and let you know when the podcast drops. Thing. It's very nice of you. All right. Thanks, Mike. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Like Bye-bye. Thanks again to Mike Stanley for being on the show. Now, Mike has no website, but you can catch him in Cincinnati Thursday, June 12th through Sunday, June 15th. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Mike Stanley and the number one, so it's all one word. And you can also find him on Facebook. I'm sure he'd love to be your friend. And then he can keep you updated on uh, when he's going to be in your neck of the woods. He's in the Midwest for most of the summer back in Los Angeles in September. Okay, so um, I guess that'll do it. Um, I'm just going to skip the credits this week because I just don't feel like doing them. If you're that interested, go back to a previous episode, which you'll also probably enjoy, and just get the credits uh, uh, from there. All right? And uh, so other than that, uh, so long, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.